0: Good morning, friend. I hope you're doing well. It's going to be an amazing day around here, and I am super excited about it. Um, Hey, I got an email from somebody the other day that asked me if I thought that there were any places in the Bible where it was sort of pointed out that we could use humor or that humor was okay, that, you know, do you have to be serious all the time is basically the point. And that, as I started thinking about how to reply to that person, I remembered all the different times in, in Jesus' stories that he told what obviously would have been hilarious to the people in the culture and the time in which he was listening. Like in the scripture when he tells us to don't be worried about the speck in somebody else's eye when we're walking around with a log in our own eye. That that metaphor of people walking around with a giant plank coming out of their face and trying to pick a speck out of somebody else's would have been perceived and listened to and heard by the people as a hilarious idea obvious point that he was making they would have been ribbing each other look at look get a load of this guy he's hysterical right so jesus was a very a master at using subtle humor and word pictures and those kinds of things and that reminded me of an episode i did back uh, in season two episode 36 called check yourself i have another situation where we've been talking uh, between me and tatan and, and some other folks about the idea that anytime we're in some sort of interpersonal conflict The first move we should make is to look internally and figure out what our part, our role is and and make sure that we're not part of the problem before we start trying to make everybody else be the solution, right? So it's just a good um, idea of always looking internally. We did that clean hands, clean heart uh, worship time episode a few days ago. And I just want to bring this back. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. I think it'll be funny. It's a great look into scripture about how to just be internally minded and always looking inward to make sure that we're letting God sort of do the work in us, that that we want to let him turn us into the person he wants us to be before we become too concerned about how to change other people's behavior. And I think that would radically alter our society. It would give us new eyes to see the hurting people around us. It would make us more credible witnesses. And it's a great neuroscience tool. Just get your own self squared away, and you'll be less concerned about how other people are behaving, and you'll be happier. Um, and it's just a powerful walk through some scripture. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. I'll leave it as is. Just don't forget wle one com slash newsletter and wle one com slash prayer if you need prayer or you want to pray with it for us. Check it out. Hey, friend, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Otherwise, uncut and unfiltered from season two, episode 36. And as always, my friend, start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better and be happier. And the good news is, you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. How's the day going for you so far? It's early in the morning here. How are you doing? I hope you're well. Let me hear from you if you're uh, having a great day or a bad day or you want to talk about something. If you want to pray about something, hit w1md.com slash prayer. That's a that's an amazing little prayer community that's sprung up and people are connecting all over the world, praying for each other, praying for us, um, and we're praying for y'all. And uh, anyway, it's exciting. Uh, I'm excited, but I have a thought for you, a quick thought. I was reading the Bible And I ran into something in James chapter 4 that um, kind of spoke to me a little bit, and then it reminded me of something from Isaiah. So there's two parallels, uh, there's some parallels between those two passages that I keep kind of thinking about, and I decided, you know what, if I keep thinking about it, there's a reason for that, so maybe uh, we should talk about that. So today we're going to talk about when it's important for you to check yourself before you wreck yourself, (laughs) we're going to start today. All right, I want you to start with me in Isaiah 61. You might tell, by the way, I'm not beating around the bush today because I got a little bit of a time crunch here. So Isaiah 61, um, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. That's a beautiful scene. What what God wants to do for you is help you in your grief, help you in your pain, give you something good instead of something bad to hand you beauty in place of the ashes that your life sometimes places you in, friend. Now let's flip over to James chapter 4. And by the way, we're not talking about neuroscience today. We're talking, just talking about scripture today because it's such an important idea. And when you get your spirit right, your brain gets right too. So this is about mind change, but it starts with spirit change. So we're getting into James 4. Here's what he says. Now, James is the biological half-brother of Jesus Christ uh, who didn't believe originally and ended up believing and becoming a leader in the church in Jerusalem, ultimately martyred for his faith. Um, and I talked a lot about him in my Bible study, James, uh, John to Know, James to Grow, which we just finished the first round through that. And, and I'll be bringing you an opportunity to get back into that at some point. So John to Know, James to Grow was a great experience for lots of us. And we went through that in 30 days in the month of April. But here's what James said in chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you don't they come from your desires that battle within you your desire but you do not have so you kill you covet but you cannot get what you want so you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask god and when you ask you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures you adulterous people don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against god Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in you, in us, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So uh, put these two things in context next to each other. Isaiah says God's desire is to give you good from bad, to give you joy from mourning, to give you oil for to, to, to comfort the, and salve the wounds of your life. But something can happen in our lives that will cause us to feel far from God. And when we do, when we realize, sometimes it's not because life has been hard on us, and sometimes it's not because God has pulled away and abandoned us, and sometimes, he never does that, by the way, but our, we sometimes feel that. Sometimes it's not because we've just been horribly mistreated by the world. Sometimes we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, as the old comedian used to say. Sometimes the problem is us. Sometimes it's it's about our behavior and God we're going into places that God can't go. Remember the Bible says God can't look on sin in the back. So the idea is this. Sometimes if God feels far away, maybe I'm the one who's far away. Maybe I'm maybe I'm in the wrong bed. Maybe I'm texting with the wrong person. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong websites or or consuming the wrong stuff or watching the wrong things or or doing the wrong thing in my work or embezzling or stealing or lying or cheating or just far away because I I, I don't trust him enough to let him take care of me. Maybe I've pulled away from him. And what he says is when you realize, when the Holy Spirit convicts you that something in your life is what's keeping you far from God, that it needs to break your heart. So so Isaiah says, I want to give you beauty for ashes. James says, hey, grieve and mourn and wail and purify yourself and stop laughing and mourn over your sin and, and don't be joyful, be gloomy about it. He's not saying, I want you to be depressed. He's saying, when you realize that you're doing something that's separating you from God, you need to get that right. It needs to wake you up and break your heart and make you come back. And he says, God gives us more grace. Just humble yourself and he'll lift you up. He says, this is a passage of great hope. It's not doom and gloom. It's not fire and brimstone. It's saying, hey, when you realize that you're breaking God's heart, let that break your heart too and come back to him and he will lift you up. He'll give you more grace. This is quite a contrast He just is saying, driving the nail in the idea that we need to have a broken heart about things that separate us from God because that's where we can find our happiness and our peace and our hope. And when we don't have that, when we feel far from God, he's never far from us james says in chapter one that god desires for us to be unstained by the world and sometimes the world can stain us and we're not even paying attention to it we're watching stuff we're listening to stuff we're listening to the wrong music or thinking about the wrong things and the world is all of a sudden pulling us away from the one thing that can really truly make us happy and it's it's a dangerous place hebrews 6 says that when saved people live in sin that he says to their loss, they are crucifying the son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now think about that. Jesus died for your sins and he saved you. And so when you choose to engage back in those things that are separate you from God, it's basically like you're saying, hand me that hammer, Jesus, let me crucify you again. That was a long pause on purpose. We don't want to hurt the person who came here to help us. Right, So if God feels far away, friend, just remember his heart. Remember what Paul said in Acts 17, 27. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. He's close. If God feels far, check yourself. Before you go thinking that God has abandoned you, check yourself before you wreck yourself. He's not far away. He's just waiting for you to turn around. Jesus illustrated this, by the way, hilariously in Matthew 7, 3. When I say hilariously, it, we have this tendency to to over spiritualize things, and we think about Jesus as this pious guy walking around, you know, with you know with halo and angels flying all around him, and and so hum, holy and all that. He is he is all those things, but. When Jesus was a man walking around, he told stories that people would, that would get in people's heads and stick with them. And it, think about it like an old uh, an old comedian, and you're in a, in, a, in a venue watching a comedian, and you're laughing so hard at what he's saying that you're like elbowing the guy next to you, saying, "Get a load of this guy!" Like he told stories in ways that people would never forget. And one of them was in Matthew seven, starting in verse three. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your neighbor, let me take this speck out of your eye while the log is in your eye? You hypocrite, take the log out of your eye and then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. The people hearing that, they would have been rolling on the floor. This is basically like Steve Martin with the arrow through his head. This is that kind of funny. You're punching the guy next to him and say, listen to this guy, there's a log in your eye and you're trying to take a speck out of my eye. It's ridiculous, right? It is ridiculous, but Jesus drove that point home so hard because he used humor and that helps people remember things in your brain, right? He made the point in a way they would never forget. And the point of Jesus' story about the log and the speck is this. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, Now let's cover again God's dream for us, friend, because I want you to live it. I want you to feel it. I want you to experience it. I never want you to miss it. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for all, all who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. James promises us that his brother Jesus, our brother, our Lord, our Savior, wants to save us. He wants to lift us up. If we humble ourselves, He will pull us up out of the miry clay. We want sometimes. We want the brother, and we want the Savior but we don't always want the Lord, right? We don't want somebody telling us what to do. We want to be saved and we want a friend in Jesus, but we don't want him being our boss, right? We can't have it both ways, but it's better. If you let him be the Lord of your life, basically what he does is give you the good stuff in exchange for the false things, the temporary things, the crumbling, decaying things that never really leave you happy. John Bevere talked about that in his transformative book, Good or God. Sometimes good isn't enough, is a book you got to read. I'll put a link in the show notes. He basically talked about this idea that we want Jesus to be our buddy, our friend, and save us, but we don't want to actually obey him, and that's just not enough because God has more for you. Friend, if God seems far away, it's not. You just might be going someplace that he can't go, but he's right there waiting for you to turn around. Do you remember the prodigal son story in Luke 15, 11 through 32? It's basically the son goes off does his own thing, gets himself all down in the mud in the pig pen and gets dirty and runs out of money and he's starving to death. He's adulterated himself. He's made a mess of his life and God won't follow him there. The father stays on the porch, but he never stops looking out at the end of the road looking for the son to come back. And the day the son finally shows up, what does, what does the father do? He pulls up his robe and he runs down the driveway and crashes into the arms of his son and brings him back home and that in the in the Jewish world in that in that time frame when those people heard that story it would have broken their heart because the father In those families it was a it was a dignifying thing they did not run in public they did not lift up their robe and show their legs and he's basically saying this god this father who they knew was representing god is willing to hump to basically disgrace himself in order to run to his child once his child shows back up on the road there's no place you can go that if you don't just turn around and take the first step back he will run to you friend he will run He wants to be in relationship with you. So if God seems far away, talk to him, turn to him, run to him, accept his offer. Take the joy in place of your mourning, the beauty in place of your ashes, the praise for despair and freedom, favor and comfort that he wants to give you. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, friend.
1: Take me to the rock Take me to the rock Take me to the rock That is higher than night Take me to the rock Take me to the rock Take me to the rock That is higher than night My prayer From the ends of the earth I call to you When I'm Overware You have been A shelter for me Yes, A strong tower From the enemy Take me to Take me to the rock take Two. Oh, Take me to Come on, y'all. Take me to the rock. Yeah. Take me to the rock.